as we've said, this is hermeneutics, and I'll explain what that's all about as we go through this introduction. And what I will do in this very first hour is give you an introduction and hopefully a little bit of incentive and reasons why this whole area is important. And in fact, the first slide here, this is the most important course you can take. Now, usually I have people giggle at this point, and I don't just throw that up lightly. And in fact, I believe that in a seminary curriculum, this is basically your foundational course. And being foundational, I believe that it is the most important, because if you get off on a wrong foot from the very beginning, then it's going to affect everything else that you do in all the other courses you take. And since this is a seminary, and we deal with Scripture, and every course in some way is related to Scripture, then it is highly important that we have a grasp, at least a initial grasp, on how to handle Scripture, how to interpret and how to better read and study the Scriptures. Every other class is related to this class. Every every other course is related to uh, the Bible. So uh, hermeneutics is foundational to all the other classes. Even history, even a history course. We're taking the history of the church. doesn't deal direct, but it deals with issues that the church dealt with throughout history. Most of those issues that the church dealt with were hermeneutical in nature. And actually, our hermeneutics comes as a result of some of the issues that took place historically. So even your history courses that are indirectly dealing with the Bible are affected by your understanding of hermeneutics. So I actually do mean what I say right there, and I don't throw it up there as a means of arousing your funny bone. (laughs) In essence, and very simply... Hermeneutics is the science and art of interpretation. It's both a science in that, and we will deal with this in this course, it's a science in that it will deal with well-established principles. And the whole area of hermeneutics is the development of principles of interpretation. So we utilize established principles that have been tested Principles that have been recognized, principles that have proven themselves to be effective in getting into, in this case, God's Word. Now, it's also an art in that it's not a matter of developing a formula that you plug certain things into and get certain answers. Now, my background is engineering, and in engineering and all the other sciences... We're familiar with formulas, and uh, it deals with principles, But and you plug certain things into the formula, and you get output. Well, hermeneutics, even though it is like a science, and is a science, it is also an art in that it takes practice, it takes wisdom, it takes a wise use of those principles to effectively interpret. So that's not only the simple definition of hermeneutics, but it also is a short description of what we will try to 
accomplish in this course. So it's the science and art of interpretation. Now, let's speak uh, interpretation. This is on your outline sheet. Hermeneutics in general. Hermeneutics is a broad topic that affects virtually every area of life. And I'll give you a series of examples here. It affects the area of literature. In fact, there's a major controversy in literature today. And it's primarily a hermeneutical issue. And just to give you an example, the photograph is Agatha Christie, who been long dead, but she's very famous for, in fact, this article that I got out of World Magazine said that she is most popular novelist of all time. And she wrote primarily mystery novels. And this article deals with a recreation, a modern video series, a recreation of some of the writings of Agatha Christie and particular series. And they produced these and a great fan took issue with the outcome and basically the interpretation of Agatha Christie's writings. And obviously when you take something from from a literary format and produce it into a video format, it takes some transference and it takes some interpretation. And this fan noticed that uh, there were some elements in the video series that were totally contrary to the worldview and the thinking of Agatha Christie. Now, she's well known for developing these mysteries, and in those mysteries, she's well known for having a high moral standard, and all of her characters, at least the good guys, reflect that, and there's a clear antithesis between the good and the evil, etc., Well, this video series, the person that was observing them noticed that there was just some subtle changes. Some of the characters were homosexual characters. In fact, they noticed that in four of the series, there was definitely homosexual characters involved, whereas in Agatha Christie's, there was none of that. So there was an objection. And one of the things that the article points out, let me just read a couple sentences here, When Hicks died, this was her son who inherited the rights to kind of decide who who can either uh, take the material and reproduce it. Her daughter kept a very strict control and was against a lot of the revisions. Anyway, Hicks died in October. This was the daughter. The management of the estate fell to her son, Agatha Christie's grandson and they name him, if Agatha Christie, this is a quote of him, is to be as popular in the 21st century as she was in the 20th, he said, we have to be open-minded about interpreting stories in modern ways. And he justified permitting this video group to be able to do that on that way of thinking. So the idea of interpreting Writing is uh, an issue in all of literature, not just the Bible. Another sentence refers to them completely changing 
the author's original intention. And that is key. In the postmodern world in which we live in today, there is a new way of thinking and a new way of approaching literature in general. Literature is viewed more from the perspective of the reader. And the reader, under postmodern thought, is permitted to take a lot of liberty in interpreting the writing of the author. Now, we're going to emphasize the very opposite. But this is a big issue in literature in general. So the question is, is the reader's interpretation, that's what hermeneutics deals with, more important, and do we allow license to take these liberties, or is the author's intent the most important? And we would say, if you're interested in truth, and if you're interested in understanding literature, you have to take into account the author's intent. And that's essentially what we will do as well. We want to take the author's intent of Scripture. So that's one of the fundamental principles of hermeneutics. Overall, and one of the fundamental principles that we will apply in dealing with the Scripture. So that's in literature. Now, in even government and in law, you see the same principle. This is a photograph of the Supreme Court building. And the main function of the Supreme Court is a hermeneutical function. It's the main function of the Supreme Court. There's also a new, relatively new movement in terms of the approach that is taken by judges that are appointed to the Supreme Court. It has become more political. And in terms of the interpretation, the purpose of the Supreme Court is to look at laws passed by the legislature and measure them based on the Constitution. So the Supreme Court is tasked with interpreting, there's hermeneutics, the Constitution. The new movement is that the Constitution is a living and breathing document that needs to be adapted to new situations, to the circumstances of the 21st century. It's an old document, and they would even say somewhat outdated, so we need to look at it from a different perspective. It's that same postmodernist view of relative truth, Ideas can change, those sort of things. So, in interpreting the law, there are two basic philosophies. The living document philosophy, that you can inject ideas that are not per se literally in the text of the Constitution, but can be found in other sources, and you utilize them to interpret, and on that basis, you compare laws today. So the issue, is it a living document, or do you look at the intent of the framers? That's the more conservative approach in terms of interpreting of the Constitution. So in reality, the nine Supreme Court justices should be with us today to understand these principles of interpretation, because I think this is an extremely dangerous approach, but... 
Today, the court is made up of almost half of the judges take that approach. And the main issue is a hermeneutical principle. So hermeneutics is important. It deals with many areas of life. Now you think, surely, science is not affected by interpretation. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Science is affected by interpretation. In fact, at the heart of historical science is, in fact, interpretation. And today, there are different approaches in terms of the utilization of science. Science today has been hijacked by a religious worldview called naturalism. Okay? And science is performed using what is described as methodological naturalism, or that's the foundation to the practice of modern science today. This approach excludes any explanation of physical phenomenon outside of the physical realm. In other words, you can only take things within the physical realm to come up with explanations concerning things dealing with the physical realm. So you can't appeal to anything outside of that. That's called methodological naturalism. And that's a religion, by the way. Naturalism, materialism, is a worldview. It's a religious perspective. The issue is hermeneutics. So this is the majority of science today, but there's another approach. And I would say there's a biblical approach to do science. If you are sincerely seeking truth and you're a scientist, then it is legitimate to be able to take into account ideas from every area that is applicable, which would include scripture. But methodological naturalism excludes any appeal to scripture. That's an approach. That's a hermeneutical decision that is made by the majority of the scientific community. So science is affected. And as I mentioned, there are, there are two branches to science. There's what's called observational science, science that's done today that you can test, observations that you can make today, that's observational science. There's also science that deals with past events, reconstructing past events, like the geological record, those sort of issues dealing with that. That's called historical science. Anytime you're dealing with a reconstruction of a historical event, you have a certain amount of physical, observable data pertaining to that event, but in order to formulate an idea or a conclusion concerning that historical event, because you can't reproduce it and you you can't test it, you have to inject assumptions concerning the past, Those assumptions, basically worldview, are going to sway, depending on your worldview, the interpretation of that data, of the past events. We call those the traces of the event. So historical science deals with interpretation again. So hermeneutics is very, very broad. Also history. History by its very nature. History deals with data, dealing with the past, you can't reconstruct events, whether they be with Abraham Lincoln or whether they deal with things in the geological record, before historical records, 
We're dealing with events that have occurred one time. You can't reconstruct them. All that is left are the traces of those events. And what we mean by traces? Traces can be written documents. In fact, that's your most reliable, the, the most valued traces of a past event. Eyewitness accounts, written records, newspaper accounts, or records that are written in time, in a time if you're studying Abraham Lincoln or whatever. But we don't have any written records in dealing with a geological record, for example. So all you have is the rock layers, but those are traces. So those are different traces of events. So how do you reconstruct what took place? How do you reconstruct the life of Abraham Lincoln? Well, the most valuable are written records. How do you reconstruct the geological column dealing with the, the layers? Well, it takes some assumptions about the past. And there's two basic theories there. But history, the point I'm making here, history takes the, the data, which are the traces of the events, and those traces must be interpreted. Those events must be interpreted. Interpretation of events. And you come to certain conclusions. After you've done your research on Abraham Lincoln, you come to conclusions concerning what his life was all about. And since there's an abundance of records concerning him, since he was a president then you can be pretty precise concerning who Abraham Lincoln was. Other areas you may not be as precise, like the geological record, but you're doing the same thing. You're interpreting events. Interpretation requires principles of interpretation, and it requires foundational assumptions. That's what we're going to deal with in this course. Just communication in general. And I'll use this slide with a little bit of humor. When we try to communicate, sometimes we don't understand all the concepts that are being communicated. And in the slide there, uh, the husband is saying to the wife, the receiver is not the receptionist. Even though there's a relationship between receiving something and a receptionist, when you're talking about football... The receiver is not the receptionist. <laughs> All right? So, just communication. This course is going to help us to even understand communicating in a general way, not just reading scripture. Communicating in many other areas as well. One of the main problems in marriages is communication. And another just humorous slide here. You always insist on having the last word, husband says. And she has the last word. Sorry. (laughs) And you probably, if you're married, can agree that probably the most difficult area is that area of communication. It's the source of the most, most of the problems in any marriage. Wait till your hearing starts to go too. When your hearing starts to go. (laughs) Right. Right. What we're dealing with, though, is differences between men and women, differences between the way men communicate and women communicate, differences between the way we understand one another. Those are hermeneutical differences. So, this course will possibly save your marriage. (laughs) Give that one to your boss and tell him this is why you have to be here. All right. (laughs) Hermeneutics 
actually begins all the way at the very, very beginning. That's why I give you a slide of uh, kind of a garden scene here. What was the first communication of man? Well, except that in Genesis 2 where God communicates to man, but outside of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, do you remember what is an issue was raised there? The issue is a hermeneutical principle. At the very beginning and at the heart of the fall of man is hermeneutics. Remember what the, the serpent said to the woman in Genesis 3.1? Really yeah, what did God indeed say da-da-da-da-da? Okay, there you have it. Indeed has God said, raising doubts concerning what God said and then undermining the authority of that statement. And the issue here is questioning the understanding of the woman, which is hermeneutics. Did God really say this? That's hermeneutics from the very start, very beginning of, of communication. Today, we bring it to today. What does God call us to be in terms of interpersonal relationships, particularly where there's conflict and lack of communication? What does Jesus say that we are to be? In Matthew 5, 9, we are to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, those that can intervene, bring wisdom, bring understanding, who have a clear perspective of communication, can break down barriers. So hermeneutics gives us the tools to be able to do that. You see that? So blessed are the peacemakers, so they should be called the sons of God. This is what we are called to do, to be peacemakers in a world of conflict. It's going to take hermeneutics and hermeneutical principles to be, be able to do that. The point I'm making with the series of these slides is hermeneutics is a very, very broad area, and it touches every area of life, even family and even marriage. And in fact, there are very few areas that you can probably think of where hermeneutics does not come into play, where we're dealing with interpreting and understanding and sorting out, discerning, the whole area of discernment deals with hermeneutics. Now, we're not going to deal with all of those areas, but many of the principles that we will apply in biblical hermeneutics, that's what we will be dealing with, biblical hermeneutics, many of those principles are the same principles that are going to apply in all of these other areas as well. Because these are basic. In fact, some of the principles that we'll look at, you're going to even look at them and say, well, that almost seems too obvious. Why do we even have to discuss that principle? It is so obvious. Well, the reason we'll discuss it is because oftentimes people violate or distort or don't take into account that principle, so we want to look at it and bring it to the forefront. So we are going to specialize and we're going to deal with biblical hermeneutics. And that deals with interpreting scripture. So it's the, the science and art of interpreting, in this case, scripture. What God has said. So hermeneutics is this 
broad category, and when we talk about it in terms of Bible hermeneutics, there's two areas that we will deal with in this class. We will deal with the general principles, and I'm going to go through them somewhat rapidly because there's a lot that we need to cover. And some of them you can go back and read in some of the textbooks and that sort of thing. And hopefully, if we can answer all the questions dealing with these general principles, that'll be good. General principles, these are principles of interpretation that pertain to any passage of Scripture, no matter where. Deal with principles beginning in Genesis 1.1. All the way to Revelation 22:21, I believe. So these are principles that are applicable to any portion of Scripture. General principles. There's a second category. These are called special hermeneutics. When we get into Scripture, we recognize that Scripture is some of the best literature that you will find anywhere. Some of the best literature ever penned. So it uses a variety of types of literature. And there are different literary form or genres, we could call them. Special hermeneutics deals with those special characteristics of those particular genres or literary form. What is the most prominent literary form of all of the Bible? Can you identify it? How would you describe it? Poetry. Nope, not poetry. Close, though. That's the question again. What is the the most prominent or most common literary form of Scripture? Narrative. Narrative, exactly. Narrative literature. In fact, about 40% of the Old Testament is narrative, and about 40% of the New Testament is narrative. So about 40% of all of the Bible is written in the literary form of narrative. Narrative literature, and we'll get into each of these, but narrative literature has its own particular characteristics. So special hermeneutics will deal with those particular principles that pertain to narrative. The second most is poetry. Poetic literature is different from narrative. And we'll look at those particular characteristics. So you need to take into account the literary form that the author uses to try to communicate because there's some elements in that that'll help you to interpret that are unique to that type of genre. And we'll look at others as well. There are other literary forms. For example, the epistles. That's, that's a totally unique, different form. That's called epistolary, obviously. So we have general hermeneutics or general principles that apply to any passage and then special hermeneutics in addition to the general principles. The special hermeneutics are in addition on top of, in conjunction with, the general principles. Further principles particular to each genre. The goal, as I've already hinted at, this comes right out of Mickelson's text, I like his statement. This is the goal of hermeneutics. The goal of everything that we will do in this class. In fact, this is kind of the underlying principles, the broad overarching principle that applies to uh, the entire class and everything that we will deal with. 
Uh, hermeneutics or interpretation is to find out the meaning of a statement, whether it's in Genesis, Revelation, Isaiah, Matthew, regardless. The quote, to find out the meaning of a statement for the author. Very, very important. We're not postmodernists. The emphasis is not upon us as the reader. In fact, that is a failure in our system, in our approach. Everything that we do is what did the author intend. So, find out the meaning of the statement for the author. What did the writer intend to communicate? That's the goal. Everything that we will do will attempt to do that. What did Isaiah intend? What did Moses intend? What did Paul intend? Not what do I want the passage to say. That's postmodernism. That's reader-centered. That's interpreting from my perspective. That's a failure. And one of the fundamental failures of the church has been that approach. In fact, that's one of the basic fundamental problems that we find in the church today of interpreting Scripture is people read into the text things that they want to be there rather than what the author intended. So that's one. And for the first hearers or readers, how did that initial audience understand what that author was communicating? In other words, if we come up with an interpretation that that original audience could not have conceived of, then it's probably not the right interpretation. And I can think of an example right off the bat. Some of our approaches to Genesis chapter 1 today, we are oftentimes, in fact this is a failure, a lot of people will inject current scientific theory in attempting to understand Genesis 1. Some of those theories would never have been thought of either by the author or the original first readers of Genesis chapter 1. So it's probably a faulty approach. And in fact, what it is doing is it is interjecting science theory into the interpretive process, and what we need to do is do the very opposite. We need to take the text first, and now interpret our science relating to Genesis 1 in terms of understanding what Genesis 1 is, is trying to communicate. So, how did the author, or what did the author intend to communicate, and how did the original readers, first readers or reader, hearers or readers, the writer includes hearers because much of the word was heard in uh, past biblical times rather than read, but some had the ability to read as well. But the original audience, basically, how did they understand and how did they, how would they have taken that passage? So when Paul is writing to the Ephesians, how would the Ephesians have understood the book of Ephesians? What were certain things characteristic of them? Because sometimes the writers will allude to things in their culture, in their historical setting. So you take these into account. That's the basic goal of everything that we will do in this course. So basically you have hermeneutics in a nutshell, and if you don't come back, you've got the course. <laughs> All right? Well, you know, that's an interesting statement you made because, of course, 
some subtle, slight things, but they probably have more things in common than would be differences. But there might be some differences because it's a different audience. Right. The Ephesians perhaps did not have all of the problems that the Corinthians had. That's why Paul doesn't address those issues in Ephesians and does at the the church of Corinth. Yeah. So that's the basic goal now, the course will basically stop right there at the comma. Uh, Mickelson goes on in his quote, and thereupon to transmit that meeting to the modern readers. That's the next step. So the goal is to understand what the author intended and how it would have been understood in first century or the time of Moses, depending on the literature that you're using. And now that you have an understanding of the text... Now, the next stage is transmit that meaning to readers or hearers in the 21st century. That's communication. That's exposition. That's after you've applied your hermeneutical principles. That's after you've studied the biblical text and understand it. Now we can frame it in language that an audience can understand without taking away from the understanding of the first hearers and taking away from what the author intended. So the key here is the author's willed meaning. And we would say that postmodernism is in error. And to approach literature in general from that postmodern perspective, I think, is a failure to understand literature in general. And by the way, all postmodernists contradict themselves because they want you to understand their intent in their writings. They don't give you the permission to make them say whatever you want them to say. So that violates, that's the failure of that approach. So in general, even any literature, and and by the way, you and I, and in a husband-wife relationship, you want your wife to understand what you are communicating. You don't want her to read in to you what she wants you to be saying. That only brings tension and conflict, right? So we desire the people to understand what we intend. Uh, This is a major problem in politics today. People putting words into politicians' mouths that they did not intend and twisting it. Uh, That's a failure. That's what we want to avoid. What did the author intend? The author's willed meaning. Now, there's an excellent book that deals with this in terms of literature in general on your syllabus. Don't have it before you, but the author's name is Hirsch. Validity in Interpretation is the name of the text there. I would recommend that book. Now, it gets pretty philosophical and somewhat technical, but it's an excellent book in dealing with this whole issue, the author's will meaning and the importance of it. It's a secular book. It's not dealing with the Bible, but we would agree with his premise is that you need to focus on the author's willed meaning. 
Now he's giving the literature in general. So, what we will do in this course, how will we determine meaning? And we'll go over this in great detail. So you don't even need to copy this, but just in general, this is a summary of what we will be doing. We will determine meaning by the laws of grammar. So we'll spend a lot of time dealing with issues of grammar. This is a summary of this approach. Secondly, we will determine meaning based on the facts of history. And I'm going to talk a lot about history. History is important from our perspective. God has tied his revelation to events. He's tied his revelation to history. So the better we understand the facts of history, the better we'll have a grasp of biblical truth. You can't divorce biblical hermeneutics from history. And thirdly, context is very important from the framework of context. And this is basic. This is basic. Even in a novel, if you're reading Agatha Christie, for example, she develops a context. You don't start her book on chapter 15 because you miss all of the development of the characters, all of the development of the plot in the first 14 chapters. So you don't start in chapter 15, you start in chapter 1, and that is developed as you move through the book, and by the time you get to chapter 15, you have a pretty good picture of where things are going, even though there might be some surprises yet and that sort of thing. But you can't understand what's going on by just reading chapter 15. You have to have the first 14 chapters as well. Context in Scripture is the same way. We're going to emphasize that. And that's true of communication in general. Yes, I said that, but I said that in this context. It didn't pertain to this other context, where it has a different meaning. And you can give some illustrations of that sort of thing. So we're dealing with determining meaning based on the laws of grammar, facts of history, framework of context. We call that the grammatical, historical, contextual approach. Grammatical, historical, contextual. Now, some writers will abbreviate it and call it grammatical historical, but they're talking about the same thing. I like to include contextual because it uh, gives you a fuller picture of what we're dealing with. That is the approach that we will be dealing with. We will also, later on, towards the end of the class, I'm going to give you some other approaches that are different in contrast to this approach. And you need to be aware of them because large segments of the church sometimes utilize these other interpretive approaches. And the reason we disagree with them oftentimes is not so much over theology, but it's over hermeneutics. And I'll give you some examples of that as well. And by the way, the cults use a different hermeneutic than what we do. They have a distinct hermeneutic as well. I'll describe the hermeneutic of the cults as well, at least in broad strokes. So we will determine meaning based on the grammatical, historical, contextual approach. What's the purpose of hermeneutics? What's the purpose of this whole course? Well, the purpose of this course is first to lay a foundation of principles. We will lay a foundation of principles. And I'm going to give you 15 hermeneutical principles. 
Six of them are major essential principles. And then I'll give you some others that are important, but not to the, to the level of the first six. So we'll lay a foundation of principles. And like I said, many of those principles will be applicable not just in biblical hermeneutics, but uh, some of them will save your marriage. Some of them uh, will be applicable in understanding politics. Some of them will even be applicable in better formulating an idea concerning things in science as well. So we'll lay a foundation of principles. The second part of the course is a practical part. And it involves the development of skills. So we'll develop principles, but we will also put those principles into practice. So we'll develop skills. So this is half the course is a how-to course. That's Bible study methods portion. Skills of interpretation. Yes, skills of interpreting. Skills of getting into the Word directly. Developing biblical skills. Most people don't have a systematic or a well-thought-out approach. And what we want to do is give you a well-thought-out approach that is helpful and helps you develop skills to better get into God's Word. Most are too dependent on other people. It's not bad to have a good pastor and to depend on him, but most people are overly dependent on even the best of pastors. Scripture was written that we might have a personal and an intimate relationship with God, and God wants us to interact with him directly. So part of the purpose of this course is to help you develop some of those skills. Some of you have already developed in large measure these skills, like, like Jim. Jim's been doing Bible study, I don't know, what, longer than I've been alive, probably. He's coming to put them in a nice, neat package and uh, perhaps use this in his own ministry as well. So we'll develop skills. So in large measure, this will be a how-to course. I've got an athletic background, and any athlete knows that you can do all the reading. You can read all of the, the rule books and understand all of the rules. You can understand the, the, the dimensions of a football field. You can understand the history of football. You can understand all of the professional teams and their approaches and everything about football. But you don't learn one single thing about playing the game until you get onto the field. Same here, you can understand all of the hermeneutical principles, or you can listen to the best of preachers, you can read the best of books, but you don't develop the skills yourself of getting into the Word until you actually get onto the field of, of study. And that's what we want to help you with in this course. And what I will give you are what are described as exegetical tools... Just a big word for Bible study or Bible study methods. And some of them will deal with grammar tools. And I'll give you a little bit of my background when we get to that stage. The reason I go in, went into engineering is because I was very, very poor in the literature humanities area. 
So I went into numbers rather than letters. There's only 10 numbers and there's only 26 <laughs> letters. A lot easier for me. So this was an obstacle I need to, needed to overcome. So grammar is an obstacle to you. Maybe I can give you some encouragement. These are exegetical tools. History. It's good to have a grasp, uh, particularly biblical history. In fact, that's real history, biblical history. And it's good to know a little bit of culture, so we'll deal with cultural issues as well. There are distinct cultures. We'll go into great detail on all of these. There are distinct cultures in the Bible, very different from one another. There's a there's an Egyptian culture that uh, you'll need to know about when you're studying books of Exodus and some of the others, Numbers as well. There's even a pre-flood culture. We'll get into all of these different cultures and some of them. Uh, there's a different and distinct New Testament Mediterranean Greco-Roman culture that is different from Egyptian or different from Babylonian and any of the other cultures of the Old Testament. So we'll deal with culture, give you some exegetical tools, and we'll always emphasize context. Context. So the purpose is to lay a foundation of principles. Secondly, to develop skills. And both of these are to help you to enjoy Bible study. The joy of discovery. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. To feel comfortable enough in the biblical text that you can open it up and feel confident that God is going to speak to you. It's not just a jumble of stories and genealogies and problems and names that are unfamiliar, but it's actually an enjoyable thing. And it's it's a great thing to be able to have the joy of discovery. In fact, a little pamphlet written by, I can't, some, I can't remember the name of the woman, it's called The Joy of Discovery. That's what we want to encourage. It's the joy of Bible study. To gaining an insight where the Holy Spirit taught you something directly from the Word and it was accurate. It wasn't mystical, but it was in the text. It's there. And you saw it. And, and the Holy Spirit brought it to your uh, understanding and a light clicked. And you understand this principle as a result of your own Bible study. It's not some pastor that has already reworked it and formulated it so that now, oh, okay, that sounds good. The joy of discovery is when God speaks directly. And ultimately, these two will also strengthen your relationship with the Lord. So that'll be a purpose, that our relationship is strengthened. In my notes, I have a, a story of, it was a new newspaper article titled, How to Read a, How to Read a Book, with the subtitle, How to Read a Love Letter. And the article goes on to describe a young man who received his first love letter from his girlfriend, probably a teenager. And it just describes all of the emotions and all that he does in reading that letter. It raises hundreds of questions as he goes through, phrase by phrase and word by word. And in fact, he looks very carefully and makes sure that he understands every sentence. And he pours over it and he'll read it. More than one time. In fact, he'll read it several times. He won't even deliberately memorize it, but by the time he's done exegeting it, (laughs) studying it, 
he will have memorized it and he remembers it or at least the essence of it because he's read it enough times and absorbed it and and understood and, and found great joy in it. Well, the Bible is God's love letter to you and I. And the joy of discovery is in that relationship of him communicating to us directly and in that, that strengthening our relationship. So that's the purpose of this whole class. There's a passage that we'll look at. In fact, let me switch to it. Second Timothy 2.15. This is kind of the underlying biblical passage that encourages us to take this course and or endeavor to get into hermeneutics and into Bible study. Uh, we're exhorted. It's an imperative. Be diligent. Present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Let's take a look at these two words, handling accurately and diligently. First, the, the word diligently is spudazo. This is a zealous, in other words, an excited and energetic or eager. The idea of taking pains, taking the time that it takes, or the idea of making every effort to get into the text, not being sidetracked, not being discouraged. Uh, we're encouraged to diligently present ourselves approved as workmen, so as we're dealing with the study, which implies it's going to take some effort. We need to be diligent about it. Who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, when the process is done, you have some satisfaction. You haven't done a shoddy job. Because you're handling accurately the word of truth. Now, in the Greek text, there's only one word that translates handling accurately. And it only occurs in this context in all the New Testament. Only in this 2 Timothy 2.15 passage. And that word is orthotomeo. And it has the idea of cutting. This is outside of the Bible in other first century contexts cutting a path in a straight direction. The idea is you want to get from point A to point B and there's a forest in between. And handling accurately is the idea of going directly from point A to point B. In other words, don't get sidetracked with all the side issues. Don't emphasize all the issues that don't pertain to the particular passage that you're dealing with. So it's like cut a path in a straight direction, much like a road builder, and my background is engineering, so what you do is you do an initial survey through a forest like this. You plot a path, and then you design a highway, and you cut it straight. And the straighter you can go, the more efficient you will be in building that roadway. You don't go on a curved, deviant way unless uh, the terrain demands it. So whenever you can, you cut a straight path from point A to point B. Uh, that's what is encouraged in this passage. Handling accurately, in other words, getting to the point. In other words, don't get sidetracked. Uh, handling accurately is a good translation, the word of truth. That's what we're tasked with doing. And this is what we want to do in this course. Why don't we take a break at this point of...